Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. I'm Pam Pastor, your host. And if you're like me, have you read your Bible for years in a literal sense where you're literally attempting to translate it line by line, sentence by sentence? You know, if so, you may have missed out on the promises of God. Allow me to explain, for example, exactly what I'm saying here. Let's take Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. It says, And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you and will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Well, if we take that verse and we take it into context, Moses had already reminded the people that he would be replaced by Joshua, his successor. So repeating it here in this verse of scripture, in the sight of all of Israel, affirmed that Joshua was approved by both God and him, providing for a smooth transition as the baton of leadership was preparing to transfer. All of that's good. Fine. We understand that. However, with this said, as God's people, we too are to grab a hold of these promises in this verse and recognize like in Moses and Joshua's day, God is with us and he will not leave us nor forsake us. And therein lies the promise. So friends, I want to welcome you back to part two of God's promises today. Yesterday, we began exploring some universal promises that all of us can place into action. And specifically, we looked at common things that we say to ourselves during times of trials or tribulations. Wrongly, we may say, it is just impossible. I am too tired. Nobody loves me. I am too weak. I don't know where to turn. I can't do it. And finally, I'm not capable of doing this on my own. It is just not worth it. And then we turn to the promises of God and we learn that God says, all things are possible with me. I will give you rest. I love you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I will direct your steps. You can do all things through Christ. I am sufficient. It will be worth it. So what about when our suffering makes us say to ourselves, I can't forgive myself. I've just made too many mistakes. Let's face it. Everyone sins and we come by it honorably. Allow me to explain. We are all born with a sin nature. Yep, that's right. Thanks to the fall in the Garden of Eden, we are born with a sin nature. It isn't God's desire for us to remain stuck in sin, though. If a person claims they've not sinned, they're demonstrating their ignorance or their pride and the very fact that they do not belong to Christ. While acknowledging the truth of the gospel is good, alone that is just not enough. People must also confess their sins and walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
You see, when we confess our sin, it's to say what God says about it. God's word tells us in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Solomon's father, King David, knew from experience that he could not hide sin, and he teaches us that confession results in God's mercy and his forgiveness. We do suffer because of our own choices and our own sin. That's a given. But Psalm 38 verse 18, David helps us to bring to remembrance that our suffering in it, he wants, he says, for I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. Iniquity is a sin that we're committing knowing we're committing it. It's not like a innocent sin where, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was a sin. No, and it's not a transgression where there's the lion drawn in the sand and we're choosing to make the choice to cross over the line. But iniquity is, it's similar to transgression, I would say, and that you do know what you're doing. Furthermore, God's word teaches that we're free from indwelling sin. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As believers, we've been justified by faith, and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So why does Paul say now no condemnation? Were we previously condemned? That's a great question, and it shows you're paying attention to detail. Now is a word contrasting that peace with the time before people enjoyed emancipation from sin through Christ's justification. Recall, we've said justification means just like it never happened. The good news for this further substantiates that the believer's judgment day is behind them at the cross upon Calvary, while the unbeliever's judgment day is still ahead of them. And how about condemnation? What does this mean exactly? Well, condemnation is a legal term that includes both the sentence as well as the execution of the sentence. As we see, God says, I forgive you. While there's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it's prudent to place at the forefront of our minds that God has given believers the Holy Spirit who operates within us in a spirit of holiness. It's likely we'll at times feel promptings or the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but we never need feeling condemnation. Have you ever felt completely overwhelmed? Maybe you felt not qualified for the task at hand or too burdened with all that there was to do. Perhaps you just said to yourself, I can't manage this on my own. Hear me when I say this. That is a great place to be. You find yourself in these moments of surrender to God. We simply can call out to Jesus, help me, Lord. He gives us another promise through Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. He teaches us how God meets people's needs in glory by Christ Jesus. This promise is a personal one. My God, it's a positive promise, shall supply. It's 
appointed all your need. It is plentiful according to his riches and glory, and it's powerful in Jesus Christ. Now, rarely will you hear me talk about giving. However, I do devote an episode entitled Just Say Yes to It, which I highly recommend you check out. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention giving along with the promised scripture just provided in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You see, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses touches on the topic of money. Of the 38 parables that Jesus told during his time on earth, 12 dealt exclusively with this issue. When this issue is not discussed, people are not convinced or convicted by the Holy Spirit, as we said earlier. And when they're not convinced, they don't give. This, in essence, is robbing them of one of God's richest blessings, the gift of giving. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, put it this way, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Give, and it will be given, is known as the law of investment. A person who puts godly financial principles into practice will know some measure of God's blessing in this realm. He gives back running over. You see, it's a gift to be allowed to give. God's promise is that he will supply all of our needs. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, to be generous and do good. He says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Earlier, we touched upon the law of investment, give and it will be given. Now we're confronted with you reap what you sow. This is the principle of investment. In other words, you reap if you sow. Did you catch that? You have to sow. So if you sow, the principle of identity says you reap what you sow along with the principle of increase, which acts as God's multiplier. You reap more than you sow. And finally, the principle of interval, meaning you reap later than you sow. We began this section with a wrong belief that said, I can't manage this on my own. We must not discount that our wrong beliefs come directly from Satan or the demonic forces associated with him. He is the ultimate deceiver. We can also deceive ourselves and mock God when we knowingly sin and act like there's no penalty to be paid. We must realize before God there are no small sins. Sin is sin. The prophet Jeremiah teaches us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
This verse reiterates the desperate, incurable wickedness of the human heart. The primary characteristics of being in the flesh is an absolute inability to please God. We must surrender to the Holy Spirit, asking him to guide, direct, and reveal himself to us, guaranteeing motives that will be pleasing to God. Now, if you're curious about what it means to sow to the flesh, it means to coddle it or stroke it instead of crucifying it. We've all had things done to us which have been completely unjust, unfair, and downright nasty. When we allow our minds to harbor a grudge toward the ones who took advantage of us or caused us to lose our primary livelihood in their evil ways, we sow to our flesh It feels good to send arrows of pure hatred back to them. Yet God says, that's not my way. My way is to forgive our enemies. So it is in these difficult times that we must sow the seeds of doing good. Even when no harvest seems imminent, we must remain strong in the Lord, not losing heart. God promises in due season, we will reap. And it's in that season that nothing can stop God's will. He is more powerful than anything or anyone upon our earth. When faced with challenges, we must stay the course and keep thanking God for moving on our behalf, even while we wait. The harvest, you see, belongs to God. And at other times, we may be gripped with fear for a known or unknown reason. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 promises, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, friends, God intervenes on his children's behalf. Fearful thoughts are the opposite of love. But we have a father in heaven who only knows love, and it's his will that we too love and we don't hate. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 instructs us by saying, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This verse is instructing us that what we know about real love is rooted in the character and nature of Almighty God, who is the origin, originator, and orchestrator of all true love. The biblical concept of love means seeking the best for a person while asking for nothing in return. It's only God who can produce a love like that in us. As believers, we cannot love others in our own strength. We can only displace fear by loving out of God's reservoir, out of His love. Have you ever wondered how to love another person who is just downright unlovable? It's possible, friends, when we recognize just how unlovable we once were. You see, if God chooses to love us, He certainly can also love through us. You see, we may have said, I'm fearful, but with God, he promises to strengthen and help us. Or perhaps it's not fear that you're experiencing. At times, we just feel troubled. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter tells us, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
And this scripture verse is simple yet profound. It can stop worry in its tracks. We're not to worry, but instead we are to pray. This allows God to manage each and every concern that we have. This is how we cast our care upon the Lord. We as Christians must be vigilant about how we live in addition to prayer, being careful to not allow worry to steal our joy or our peace. We all have talents and giftings that we use in the natural world, but do you ever reflect upon your spiritual gifts and how best to use them for serving God? Do you at times proclaim your faith too small to be impactful for the kingdom of God? If so, I've got good news. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul plainly says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God's promise of faith to his people is tangible. When we put it into action, we glean and we harvest results. When we recognize Jesus is the zenith to God's plan of redemption, we can in faith stand upon all the promises of God. We can experience joy in our salvation now, knowing that our eternal lives began the moment we said yes to God and we embraced his son, Jesus Christ. Part of exercising our measure of faith is in the ability to make wise choices. We must not listen to the enemy of our mind who tells us that we do not make wise choices. Many of us know what Jesus' half-brother taught about wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it's recorded, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask a God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We should all want godly wisdom rather than worldly wisdom. This is what allows us to know what to do in confusing circumstances. This type of clarity only comes from God. Again, our God is so loving. He wants us to only ask him for more of his wisdom that he makes available to all believers. This is one aspect of God's generosity toward his children. While many of us do enjoy the wisdom of God, it's still possible to feel all alone in a world full of people. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, let your conduct be without covetedness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Feeling all alone is a sin of our mind. God's enemy, who is also our enemy, attacks us within our mind and falsely plants seeds of loneliness. But here we see God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in dwelling in us. Additionally, the Old Testament confirms in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, Moses is saying, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And we discussed that verse in today's podcast intro, What a Promise. Then there are times where we have sinned or come into adversity in life. We're experiencing what can only 
be described as a broken heart? How do we recover and bounce back? Certainly, this is not God's best, nor his will for us to remain in a state of despair. We learn in Psalm chapter 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is God taking a giant brush stroke and painting his goodness over our lives. This is symbolic of binding up our wounds. The gentleness and the profound love of our Lord is told through this beautiful picture of his care for us. He tends to the hurting in our present day age, just like the great physician Dr. Luke is depicted in the Gospel of Luke. The psalmist also tells us in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite, meaning remorseful spirit. As God's children, we will never be in a place of despair where our hearts are too far removed from our Savior. It just won't happen. And sometimes in life, we come to a realization that our lives haven't turned out the way in which we hoped. Well, this is part of the problem. Hoping isn't action-oriented. Simply ebbing and flowing with life does not produce a concrete destination. We must be vigilant writing out our vision for life in a purposeful manner. As humans, we have the reticular activating device alive and well within us. What this means is when we focus in upon something, we'll see more of it everywhere. If I say to you, don't think of the color blue, in your mind, you're going to begin to see it. And then all around you, you're going to see it. Or perhaps you're going to buy a new car. Once you get specific as to the make and model, you'll begin to see more of them all over. So scripture teaches in Psalm chapter 138, verse 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Here David is the psalmist, and he's telling us that the Lord perfects, meaning that God uses experiences in our lives to mature, strengthen, or complete us. The pressures that God allows in our lives help to eliminate anything that's unimportant that separates us believers from authentic fellowship with our God. And directly in the midst of trials or troubles, God will remake us and renew us. This is how God can promise he will perfect that which concerns us. So friends, I sincerely hope that you've enjoyed this two-part series on standing upon the promises of God as much as I have. And you can see how we read the Bible differently. We read it for the value and the impact that it it has in and of itself, but then we're able to harvest God's promises directly out of it to apply towards our lives. And I don't think we're often taught that as much as we should. So I hope that this has been helpful. And the more we know God and his son, Jesus, the more apt we are to be in alignment with the word and be in agreement with the blessings we all desire and deserve as God's righteous inheritance. Until next time, God bless bless you. And friends, if you've not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin 
making us right with God. Our sin was then placed upon Jesus at his crucifixion. Now his righteousness is given to us upon our conversion. And while it's true, we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus. What we can do is show him gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening this relationship daily. Today, friends, if this is you, I implore you, take action now. What are you waiting for? Step out boldly in faith and conviction towards the kingdom of God, openly confessing after me. Heavenly Father, I come before you repenting of known and unknown sin in my life, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and showing up in life. Jesus, you're welcome to take up permanent residence as the king upon the throne of my heart. I confess your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Now, friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Congratulations. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now consider growing in a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will assist you in edifying and building up your newfound faith in Christ Jesus. Congratulations again, and God bless you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available daily. A special Children's Jesus Talk University podcast airs on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children for Bible stories that you may be familiar with. Our episodes discuss and share Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like in all things Jesus. And if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And occasionally I reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find the content to be inspiring, compelling, or perhaps wish to do a rigorous deep dive study on your own, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. Importantly, though, friends, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It is full of God's word, and it is waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And a final word given to us from the Apostle Paul is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God bless you. And if you receive this, say amen. <music>